Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, our economic indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. There are no numbers today. Then why are, we, why are we doing economic indicators? Because we have some indicators. <laughs> we have the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, Bill Dudley, at 925 Eastern Time this morning, giving a speech on community development, but people are looking, maybe he'll go beyond that. There yeah. is Q&A. Uh, this afternoon... Uh, Robert Kaplan from the Dallas Fed is speaking. Tomorrow, Patrick Harker uh, from Philadelphia, okay. John Williams from San Francisco, and Jeff Lacker from Richmond are all speaking. A lot of Fed speak this week. And, of course, uh, the numbers and the Fed speak all go together in people's minds as people want to know what's next from our central bank. And the basic idea is retail sales has a lot to do with it. Could we get a retail negative? Retail sales is Wednesday. Mike, could we get a negative Atlantic GDP now statistic off of moldy retail sales if we get moldy? Well, you know, we could. Um, I don't know who we would we talk to to do that. I mean, well, we're going to ask Michael Faroli because oh. he's with J.P. Morgan Chief. He's the chief U.S. economist uh, there. And, uh, Michael, uh, we had the Fed minutes. Uh, as you write, uh, they, they don't suggest any hurry to raise rates, but they do suggest there is a very uh, divergent view of how uh, strong the economy is and uh, inflation threat is and whether or not uh, rates will need to rise more than the markets are forecasting. Uh, tomorrow's group, certainly, Harker, Williams, and Lacker, are all on one side. Dudley seems to be with the chair uh, mm-hmm. in, in being patient, but... Uh, uh, it, it it does seem very unsettled at this point. Well, I mean, there's always divergences of views uh, on the committee, so I don't think that's anything unusual. Um, but it was the case that in March, uh, about half the committee viewed growth risk to the downside, uh, about half viewed them as balanced, and you had even more people view inflation risks uh, to the downside. Now, uh, one thing I would say is early you said there's no data out today. I think at, actually at 11. Uh, we're going to get the New York Fed's uh, survey of consumer inflation expectations. And I think that's kind of important in terms of uh, some of these inflation risks. I think you look at the reasons they saw inflation risks to the downside, and one of them was uh, because of dollar strength and import prices, and tomorrow we'll get import prices. And another one was that there may be a risk that inflation expectations uh, could be could be moving lower. So I, I do think it will probably be interesting to watch that number later this morning. Now, we have seen that number stabilize in, the I think, the last couple times it was out. Yeah, so last month it did actually pick up after falling to an all-time low. Now, all-time is only – it's only, this, this particular series yeah. is only three years old, but it has in its three years uh, kind of mirrored the, the longer history of the um, uh, Michigan survey of inflation expectations. Michael, I want to give you a major shout-out for just terrific fundamental research, well-written, well-thought-out research on the new terminal value. You and a select few were way out front on this. The number one question I'm getting now in the streets, people stop me, and they say, okay, lousy first quarter. There's a belief it gets better. 
There's a lot of doubt out there. How do we just presume second, third, and fourth quarter GDP make up for a moldy first quarter? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, as you mentioned at the outset, um, the Atlanta Fed is 0.1. We're at 0.2 for Q1. Uh, this would, if we get it, be the third consecutive quarter below uh, 1% and probably will start to raise some questions once again about uh, if there's something special about first quarters in terms of the seasonal adjustment or other issues. Um, I think it's hard to know. We're, we're, we're mostly writing this up to just a confluence of, of bad factors. Now, as we look out to Q2, which is your question, um, I do think it's, it's, it's not just hopeful, you know, wishful thinking to, to, to believe that uh, things improve. Some of the, the drags in Q1 are, are clearly transitory. Um, inventories were uh, bloated. They're back into probably a better situation now. And with the dollar now down 5 or 6% from its peak, uh, you may get a, start to get a little bit of relief on the trade side. Um, and also, I would say that the energy capex now has basically been uh, shaved to the bone, so there there isn't much left to to cut there. Um, so I do think, mm-hmm. as we look out to uh, the second quarter and beyond, things look a little brighter than uh, than Q1. And you know, one thing I would would add, just finally on that, is as I mentioned, we keep getting these bad Q1s. Uh, one thing we've kind of said is, you know, focus on the labor market data, and if it gives a conflicting signal relative to the GDP, you know, stick with the labor data. And that suggests that growth in hours worked. Uh, the momentum there is is uh, solid. And so we're uh, feeling that things do get better as we get past uh, uh, the, the first quarter. Well, we'll come back with uh, Michael Feroli because uh, the, the question I want to ask you is, is uh, we wouldn't have enough time to, to finish it up here before we have to take a break, because I want to know why we're seeing this uh, disparity <clears throat> between growth and employment. A lot of people yeah. have commented on that. Uh, the GDP numbers don't support the kind of labor market yeah. growth that we've been getting, and one of those numbers, a lot of economists say, has got to be wrong. Yeah, plus Michael Ferroli, isn't he making tea today for Cherry Yellen and the president? <laughs> wouldn't you know, he like that? Wouldn't you like, like to be a fly like in a bond, Like in a go. Bond movie? Feroli will go in black tie and put the tea down. Madam Chair, would you like some sugar? It could be that the, the president and the Fed chair are, going to, are mm-hmm. sitting there going, uh, Abby Joseph Cohen has the capitals. Who do we have in the playoffs? Well, we know Abby Joseph Cohen has the capitals. They've been slacking off a little bit. but I'm going with the capitals. Mm-hmm. Since the Bruins didn't make it, uh, i got to go with the Caps. So saving that. Well, know, Ovechkin is just amazing to watch. I, the Canadians... Uh, didn't make it either. Yeah. Full disclosure, but Tobias Lefkovich of Citigroup is in medication uh, off of the Canadians' collapse, the biggest collapse in the history of sport. Tobias, good morning, <laughs> if you're listening. Futures Up 8, we're with Michael Feroli of J.P. Morgan. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Mount Kisco Volvo. Visit mountkiscovolvo.com. Here's Michael Barr with news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Fifteen former presidents of the American Bar Association are joining the push to urge Republicans to consider President Obama's Supreme Court nominee. In a letter to Senate leaders, the former Bar Association presidents argue that Republicans refusing to hold a vote is injecting politics into the courts that 
materially hampers the effectiveness and the operation of the judiciary part of it. The group also calls that Judge Merrick Garland as one of the most outstanding judges in the country. The top Democrat on the House Select Committee on Benghazi is endorsing Hillary Clinton for president. Maryland Representative Elijah Cummings spoke at a support rally yesterday in Baltimore. Cummings thanked Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders for his service, but... Bernie, I know Hillary Clinton. I knew her as First Lady when she and her husband, President Clinton, led our nation to peace and prosperity. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump is blasting the way the country chooses presidential party nominees. In Rochester, New York, Trump called the method corrupt and crooked. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike LeBar. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Report. And uh, John Stash, our, uh, now we know the answer to the question, who is Daniel Willis? Yeah, he was kind of the secondary story, the big story. Well, the one that we remembered most from the Masters, Mike, the collapse of Jordan Spieth, who had never shown any sign that that could be possible. Spieth was seemingly on his way to a second consecutive wire-to-wire victory, five-shot lead, then two bogeys and a quadruple bogey on the 12th hole. Two shots in the water, another into the sand. He went from up five to down three. Four birdies in a row to end the front nine. I knew that I knew that even par was good, at least by a shot. And sometimes that makes it hard. Um, you go away from the game plan that I was using on the front nine, and you just play a little conservative. And um, you know, I just put a little bit of weak swings on it, three holes in a row. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm not leading anymore. Willard was the last player to register. His wife was due to give birth yesterday, but his son was then born March 29th. So he got to Augusta just in time to Monday. He's only the second from England to win the Masters, joining Nick Faldo. First tournament he's ever won on U.S. soil. Stay alive for 73 wins, the best regular season ever. Golden State had to win at San Antonio, where no visiting team had won all year, where the Warriors hadn't won since 1997. Mm. Golden State prevailed 92-86, Steph Curry 37 points. Win Wednesday over Memphis and move over 1996 Bulls. The Warriors break the record. Long season's almost over for the Knicks and Nets. Both lost. Islanders lost, which means they'll play Florida. In the playoffs, the Rangers will take on Pittsburgh. Mets bats quiet all weekend, beaten by the Phillies 5-2. to two. Yankees rained out in Detroit. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stash Edward. Uh, John, thanks so much. A major shout-out to all of you that have assisted this morning in helping Francine Lacroix in London understand the beverage of my choice in college. Michael Boone's Farm, Francine put out a, a, a nice clip art image of it. E.J. Gallo. <laughs> Brand, it's a brand of apple wine, yeah. I'm told. Oh. Not that we knew Boone's Farm. I remember. From a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the good old days. Francie was like, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, Francie. Do they well, have that sort of thing? No, Italy they do. I don't think they do. Up. No, I think it's illegal in Europe. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. Should be. Bloomberg Surveillance with Michael Feroli of J.P. Morgan. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Eisner Amper. Hedgeweek Institutional Investor, Alt Credit Intelligence. Fund managers reading these publications rank Eisner Amper high for excellence in client service. Find out why. EisnerAmper.com slash excellence. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by... 
It is brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. Canadian Pacific Railway ending efforts to buy Norfolk Southern after the U.S. carrier rejected several proposals and opposition mounted to the merger plan backed by investor Bill Ackman. European equities are mostly higher as Italian banks climb before a meeting to discuss cleaning up the financial system. Emerging markets advanced after signs of a pickup in Chinese industrial demand while the Swiss franc weakens with government bonds. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. U.S. stock index futures are higher. S&P E-mini futures up 8 points. Dow E-mini futures up 63. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 20. The DAX in Germany is up 9 tenths percent. Your Treasury down 5.30 seconds, the yield 1.73%, yield on the two-year 0.70%. NYMEX crude oil up 7 tenths percent or 27 cents to 39.99 a barrel. COMEX gold up 9 tenths percent or $10.70 to 12.54.50 an ounce. The euro $1.1416, the yen 108.07. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Uh, It is on a Monday, 8.48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. Almost lost in the tragicomic presidential election is the growing disdain toward big business. It comes through in the candidates' rhetoric, voter behavior, and the campaign issues. Businesses' Washington agenda, a corporate tax cut, trade deals, regulatory relief, and immigration reform is shot. That's not unusual for an election year, yet the anti-corporate mindset seems fiercer than in the past and likely to continue under a new president. The obvious example of this vibe is Donald Trump, who often demonizes companies for hiring immigrants and moving production overseas, both of which he has done, by the way. Bernie Sanders won seven of the last eight Democratic contests by calling for bank breakups, higher corporate taxes, and repeal of free trade deals. Even the normally business-friendly Hillary Clinton tries to out-Bernie Bernie with tough new measures to regulate Wall Street. Business has gone through similar waves of unpopularity, but this time it's more of an existential nature, with critics questioning the benefits that companies derive from global activities. All of this means business leaders must rethink their approach to politics and prepare for a battle royal if pressure continues for redistributive taxes that would harm corporate profits. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg commentary, Please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. On economics, finance, investment, on international relations, Bloomberg surveillance. Michael? And we're talking on economics now with Michael Faroli, chief U.S. economist at J.P. Morgan Chase. And want to get to the question that I wanted to pose uh, before the break. Didn't have enough time because I I really want to look at this, uh, Michael. Uh, You you mentioned the idea for economists of uh, choosing between GDP when it's extraordinarily low and uh, payrolls when they're really good, as they have been. One of them has probably got to be wrong. Uh, how How do we know which one is which? Well, uh, you know, I think you, you kind of just arithmetically the difference between GDP growth and growth in hours worked is going to be productivity, and productivity will probably be negative this quarter. Also, was negative last quarter on a trend basis. So, which I think you know these numbers are very volatile quarter to quarter. Kind of smooth it out, and productivity is running uh, sub one percent and has been for uh, several years now. And so, 
uh, I think that's probably the more important message here is that uh, we just aren't seeing the type of productivity growth that we uh, would like to, and that's why the jobs numbers look relatively decent, but the GDP number doesn't. You know, some people would argue that we're just mismeasuring GDP, uh, which is true, but we've always been mismeasuring GDP and undercounting GDP. Uh, and I think the question is, are we, is it getting worse? I don't, I haven't really seen any compelling evidence that it is. Uh, and so I think, you know, we have to take on board the fact that I believe productivity growth has, uh, has shifted down over the last 10 years. Well, what's the explanation for the first quarter blues? For the last couple of years, it was, oh, the weather was so terrible. Wow, it wasn't terrible this quarter. No, it's actually quite, quite mild. Uh, so there are some lingering concerns that this, some of the seasonal adjustment may be faulty or inadequate. I think there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, our, our best guess, though, is it, it's just a matter of bad luck that we happen to have several negative factors all kind of hitting us in Q1, at least when it comes to the GDP adding up. So we are inclined to uh, just to write this quarter off and say, well, you know, sometimes you just you just get a bad one, uh, and it so happens that we've had them as ha- happened in Q1s over the last couple of years. Uh, and there may be, as I said, a little bit of seasonality, but I don't think that's seasonal adjustment issues, but I don't think that's the main story. The magic of the Friday publication of your weekend and Monday report on economics, the melman Feroli magic, is there's always some chart buried on page 7 that nobody else has. You did that a number of months ago with service sector inflation upwards and goods producing inflation downward. Do you still see that occurring? Are those vectors moving in those opposite directions? Well, I think so. that has been the trend. Uh, and then if, as you look at the last two inflation reports for January and February, the CPI, the core CPI surprised the upside three-tenths in each case. And, general, and, and actually in both of those, it was due to goods, uh, uh, goods pricing. And that was surprising, particularly since, you know, you had ha- – you've had this long period of uh, dollar strength and uh, commodity price weakness, and so you would have expected core goods to be soft those last few months. Instead, they bounced. Now, we do get another CPI reading on Thursday. Uh, we we would expect uh, some normalization back down in goods prices, but, uh, uh, you know, I think as you look over the course of 2015, it was definitely the case that services were moving up, mm-hmm. moving down, which makes sense given what the dollar was doing. Uh, Jan and Feb were a little bit of a surprise. We expect that to be partly uh, offset uh, uh, in this week's report. Uh, so your forecast is we're going to see inflation back off. Yeah, I mean, just, just for this one month. I mean, I think you want to distinguish kind of the month-to-month readings of, you know, the intricate details of apparel prices and so forth versus the longer-term trends. So we think that March you do see a little bit of easing. Uh, in the CPI. But then as we look out, you know, four quarters ahead, we do think that uh, inflation trends are tilted upwards, but in a, in a pretty gradual ascent. Yeah, I mean, just uh, th- that's the central debate at the Fed is how fast is inflation going to go up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the models, <laughs> the models which suggest it's going to be gradual. Uh, history suggests that, you know, these mm-hmm. things tend to be stable until they aren't. Um, so, uh, I think we're kind of torn right. between that. Yeah. Michael, in the time that we've got left, I want you to re-justify and tell us your single point, understanding there's a distribution around it, 
of where the terminal value of the American economy is going. You and a select few really got out front of advising the nation and Wall Street and investors that GDP is going to be at a new normal lower. Where is that new normal lower now? Recalibrate what you did 18 months, two years ago. Yeah, so uh, currently we are at our view on potential GDP growth is 1.4%. Um, what some of that reflects long-run demographic patterns that, that people have been expecting for a while, uh, but some of that also reflects the fact that productivity has been uh, exceptionally weak, and we expect it to continue to be weak uh, going forward. Now, we do expect it to pick up from over the last few years, it's been exceptionally weak, and even we aren't that pessimistic to, to kind of extrapolate those trends forward. If you look at what's happened over the past five years in terms of productivity and labor supply, you'd probably think that trend GDP growth was more like 0.7 or 0.8%. Now, what we're saying is we do think relative to those the last five years, we should see a little bit of a pickup in productivity. But even you know, with that pickup, we can't get much above one and a half in our, our projections. How, Mike, that is how far do you, how do you see this going? Well, so our projections are basically on a um, through the business cycle. So uh, we don't know when the next recession obviously is going to happen, but call it three to four years. So, you know, we're not trying to, to be too um, speculative here in saying what we think uh, 10 or 20 year ahead uh, GDP growth uh, uh, could possibly be. I think it's, it's, um, a bit extreme to think that anyone could have insight into kind of technological trends at that far horizon. Micah Ferroli, thank you so much. He's with J.P. Morgan. I'm thrilled to have him on, of course. And Mike, affiliated with the Booth School and their wonderful conference. Yeah, he's well. written some great papers. For them. I, I thought maybe he was going to be the fifth guest, like Pete Best in the Beatles. <laughs> you know, Volker, Greenspan, Ringo, and Ferroli. Yeah. But, or... You know, um, George Martin. Yeah, yes, he could be. Yeah, that's that. good. He could be George Martin. He's I like that. Very good. Very good. Oh, well. Michael Ferroli on uh, the new terminal value. That 1.4%, 1.5% statistic is game-changing for our American politics. Maybe that's some of what we see in the political derby. Mike, there's a primary tomorrow in New York. Am I right on no, that? No, no, no. It's a week no, from tomorrow. It's a week. Got, a week, uh, thank seven you. Seven more I days of watching politi- all the political mer- commercials that the rest of America has been seeing. There's a debate on Thursday. Thank you, NYU. Is it at, is it at NYU? Is uh, it the Navy Yard? Yeah. Okay. Candidates in New York, they take the subway. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 